Welcome back to the Be Well podcast. I'm Beth Hustard, your host, and today I'm joined by my brilliant bunch, my wonderful team. And I thought it would be a great idea to get them on because whilst yet we're all wellbeing experts and working in this area, everybody's at a slightly different stage in their wellbeing approach. They use different techniques, different preferences, different tools. And what a better time than May, which is a really busy time for us due to it housing mental health awareness week but also because of it being mental health awareness week then to have a podcast on managing your mental health so i'll get everyone to introduce themselves in a sec along with the kind of area or topic they want to talk about today and then we'll go into more detail about each area but i think it's really important to remind you at the start of this session what mental health even is what well-being even is, why does it even need to be a, be a thing? And there's millions of definitions. And when we do our workshops, we always kind of ask people this question and then give them a really official, you know, um, definition. But actually, mental health is is part of just being healthy, just being a healthy person. So how am I feeling? How am I nourishing? What makes me feel good? If I am regularly having poor sleep, not allowing myself to sleep and to recover if I don't engage in any exercise, if I allow myself to have constant negative self-talk in my mind, if I don't do things that make me happy and give me pleasure, then I'm going to end up not in a good place healthily, physical healthily, mental healthily, etc. So just keep that in mind as we're talking about this. This isn't um, because you might have a, a diagnosis. This isn't in order to prevent kind of becoming unwell. This is just literally the things that you can be doing to look after your health, your well-being, your mental health. And guys, if you've got any other elements you'd like to add to that, then please do. I've nabbed non-negotiables before anyone else tries to say that that's the area that they're going to be talking about. But um, if we just want to go through kind of on my screen, because uh, we do this on on Teams, I've got Kirsty, then I've got Megan, then I've got Chloe, then I've got Yvonne. So if you just introduce yourself, guys. I'll go first then. So yeah, I'm Kirsty Sharp. I have been a rehabilitation and wellbeing consultant for around two years now, but worked in the wellbeing space for about Eight years in total. I think I've been at Unum nearly four years, which has gone really, really quickly. But I guess just to give you a bit of a, an idea as to why I love the wellbeing space so much, um, I used to work a lot in kind of the clinical wellbeing space, um, working with customers to get them to make lifestyle changes. So it's always been like a huge passion of mine. But what I really love in our current role, I think, is just making a difference. And it really gives you a sense of purpose, knowing that these webinars, workshops that we kind of uh, showcase to our, our customers can help even if it's just one person it makes a big difference to their lifestyle and for me that's a huge driver um, so yeah gives me a sense of purpose but I think today I'm going to focus on completing the stress cycle because for me that's a, a technique that really resonates with me personally and I try to do every single day so I'll tell you about that a bit more later on. I think that's a really good topic because I only just heard about this stress cycle in the past, what, five months when you told me about it before. So good option, good topic. Meg, uh, Megan, you're next on the on the screen. Perfect. Thanks, Beth. So I'm Megan Miller um, and I'm also one of the rehabilitation and wellbeing consultants on Beth's team. Um, I have qualifications and expertise in exercise rehabilitation and ergonomics. 
Um, I started off my career um, managing a private practice back in South Africa and um, focusing on exercise rehabilitation. So we are focused on a lot of kind of post-operation rehabilitation, managing chronic conditions and even kind of enhancing sporting performance. But I've always had a large interest in health and well-being with the main focus on kind of just helping people. Um, and that is really one of my largest passions. But at a very young age, I recognized the value of exercise and how it had a large impact on our mental health. Um, and this is what has kind of, you know, influenced my um, my passions and drive and therefore career. So very, very happy to be in this in this field at the moment. But I'll be talking a bit more about how our exercise impacts our, our mental health a bit later. Sorry. Thanks, Beth. So I'm Chloe Benfields, again, another one of the rehabilitation and wellbeing consultants um, at UNAM. So I've been at UNAM just over 18 months now, um, but been with Beth sort of just over six. So very much at the start of sort of my wellbeing journey. Um, my background's in psychology, so I did a sort of my degree in psychology, um, but throughout that time, very much had an interest in sort of health um, and wellbeing. So, sort of throughout my uni degree, I did a lot of sort of swimming teaching, sort of helping children with sort of SEN difficulties, so a lot of sort of learning difficulties. And I found that really rewarding, you know, trying to help them sort of teach them how to swim in such difficult environments. And sort of the satisfaction I got off that to help those types of people, I thought would transpire really well um, in this job as well. So, as I said, really into sort of health and well-being as well. Like Megan said, you know, going to the gym, sort of exercising again, something else I'll sort of touch on a bit later on, but actually just focusing on that I am sort of new to the whole sort of well-being journey and that's completely okay, but we can always be looking at areas that we can improve on um, and just sort of normalising that a little bit, that we we don't have to be perfect in that area at all. 100% because and again, and this is what's going to lead nicely into Yvonne talking, because I know she wants to talk about marginal gains, um, stealing your thunder there, Yvonne. But it <laughs> isn't about, it is not about meditating. And I say this all the time in my little, it's like my own trailer. You don't have to be meditating, eating kale and running 5K every day and doing meditation <laughs> to be like a well-being person. You just have to know the benefits and the fact that it needs to become a habit. And that kind of leads nicely onto your introduction, Yvonne. It, does yes. Hello, I'm Yvonne Roberts. I'm also rehab and wellbeing consultant at UNAM. Um, been here for 13 years in the vocational rehab team, which I can't believe it's <laughs> passed really quickly. Um, and and I'm an old school home worker, so I've worked from home the whole time. Um, so I really understand the different efforts, opportunities of managing well-being as a home worker. My background is occupational psychology, um, so I've got a really keen interest in all things well-being and work, but especially mental health. Um, and today, yes, Beth, I am. I'm going to be talking about marginal gains and how that theory, that approach really helps us to manage our well-being. So I'm not like the others. I'm not doing marathons and running and going to the gym and lifting my own weight. Um, I look at other ways to manage my well-being. So hopefully chatting about marginal gains will help you too. Exactly. And, and that's the thing. Everyone's things that they do are completely different. Mm. Um, yeah. I think it's a good opportunity I think it's good to start with what your start with the marginal gains piece at the beginning so that it can as we as we're going through this podcast you can keep that in in the back of your mind I think that's quite a good place to start so that you're not thinking oh my good Beth's talking about this and I've got to go and you know do all the 
swim loads and do loads of running like Megan and Chloe and and um do this stress cycle thing every day it's not an actual bicycle ride a stress cycle it's a <laughs> it's an actual act um uh, so if you want to sort of mm. talk us through the marginal gains I love it I think it's uh, it's if you've listened to any other sessions that we've done we do try and kind of con- keep that idea in mind um, we don't want anybody to ever feel overwhelmed by um, the idea that they've got to do five million things in order to be fit and healthy. That is why mm. New Year's resolutions never work, because people try and overhaul things too much. And and I tried to apply the theory of marginal gains myself a couple of years ago because we was using it a lot in work um, and talking about it. And, you know, I realised I was getting up really late and I'm an early morning person, but there's no way I could all of a sudden just start getting up. 5am every day when I've been used to getting up at half seven quarter to eight so I kind of used that theory on a weekly basis I got up 15 minutes earlier and earlier over the course of Mm. a few weeks and now I can get up and use that time effectively and I go to the gym and and things like that which is really nice because I now feel much more productive in my day and I've got more time Uh, but you can't just go and think all right I'm going to wake up early and start going to the gym because your body won't adapt you won't adapt and you'll just be unsuccessful and but anyway, I'll I'll pass over to you, Yvonne, because I think you're probably going to be able to give us some really good insights. Oh. It is your baby. You were the one that introduced it to it. <laughs> I do love it. I do absolutely love it. And it's funny you talking about the stress cycle isn't an actual cycle because marginal gains kind of came to light through the British cycling team. So it was used by Sir David Brailsford, who was um, got the role as performance director and coach of the British cycling team. And it's just a really good example of how something very simple can have a really huge impact, uh, you know, and lead to brilliant success and, and brilliant outcomes. And it's something we can apply to our well-being too. So let me tell you a little bit about what it was. So in 2003, Sir David Bailsford became the coach for the British cycling team. Now, a bit of context around this. In the previous 100 years, they'd only won one gold medal at the Olympics. And in the previous 110 years, they'd never won the Tour de France. So the most you know, illustrious race in the, in the cycling calendar. Um, and it was so bad that one of the top bike manufacturers in Europe refused to sell bikes to the British team for fear it would damage sales if British riders were seen <laughs> using these bikes. I did not know that. I love that. I love um, that gosh. fact. Oh, not good, not good. So things weren't good when he took over. Um, but then just five years after he'd taken over, so during the time he'd, he'd, he'd worked with the team, they won 60% of the gold medals available at the Olympic Games in Beijing. When the Games were in London four years later, they set nine Olympic records and seven world records. And British cyclists won five Tour de France victories in just six years. So fortunes definitely changed. Now, what actually made the difference? Marginal gains, Yvonne. (laughs) It was marginal (laughs) gains. Or the aggregation of marginal gains, which sounds a bit more complicated than it is, but I'll just explain it. So Brailsford focused on making 1% improvements in every area that impacted the cyclist's performance. So it was things like, and you can read about this and it's quite interesting, but I just picked out a few. So he brought in a surgeon to teach them how to wash their hands properly so they didn't catch as many colds and viruses, which would affect the training time. And of course, this was pre-COVID when we were, you know, not so focused on hand washing. Um, They found the best pillows and beds to lead to better sleep. So they had improved recovery from training. 
Um, he arranged for the inside of the bike transport van to be painted white so that the tiny specks of dirt which could damage the fine tuning of the bikes could be spotted. So you get the idea, all these little things, these small changes, but when taken together over time, it really added up and made a big difference. We saw, you know, with the number of gold medals they were getting, how much of a difference it made. And that's the reason I wanted to talk about it today was because I think, you know, it really takes the pressure off when it comes to our health and well-being. There's so much information out there about what we should be doing. You know, you're listening to this podcast now, more information. What should we be doing for ourselves, for our family's well-being, for our kids' well-being? And it can just become overwhelming. And almost, I think, at times, taking care of our well-being can feel like a job itself. Or we can feel like, you know, we're only going to make a difference if we make huge changes and it just isn't the case. So what it's more about, and as you listen to, you know, my, my colleagues today, as you listen to us talk today, just pick out one or two things um, that really resonate with you that you think, yeah, I could do that. I could do that consistently and start incorporating those and then you can build on them. So it might be, OK, I'm going to commit to a lunchtime walk or I'm going to commit to doing a few stretches in the morning at the end of the day or I'm going to put a timer on so I have short breaks through the work day. Um, the stress cycle, you know, which Kirsty's going to talk about, I'm going to put timings in throughout the day to do some breathing exercises and close that stress cycle off, so, which is one of the things I also do, thanks to Kirsty. Um, so, yeah, have a listen as you go through and pick out a couple of things, but make sure it's just something you can easily build into your routine that you can keep doing. Don't worry if you miss, you know, a day or two, that's fine. Just get back on and continue when you can. Incorporate the next thing then when you've got that, you know, solid into your routine and you'll see that your well-being will actually significantly improve and you'll start to see those changes happening. I really like that um, and we'll go on to Kirsty in a second so that mm. we can nicely segue into talking about the stress cycle but this the marginal gains the little changes is something that we spoke about um, if you haven't listened to that one to the life in the lifestyle coaching session that I had where we were talking about nutrition and I had one of the so I did the um a nutrition session with a life coach, um, uh, well, nutrition per specialist through the life coaching piece. And so on our Help at Hand app, you've got the 360 like wellbeing assessment that you can take, four different areas you can take a test in, and then you can go and unlock, um, if you have a, uh, the JIT product, you can go and unlock uh, nutrition sessions, so six nutrition sessions, you can unlock six personal training sessions, you can unlock six lifestyle coaching sessions, and the approach that they take in those sessions is gradual. We're not going to make massive changes. So when she was talking to me, she went, why don't we just try and get one good healthy meal a week, a day, one good snack, and let's just set aside the specific time you're going to plan and book your meals for the week mm. and that's all I needed to do so I wasn't changing everything I wasn't going and trying a, a brand new diet it was just one small little thing and so that's just a, a good kind of reminder that on the help hand app when you do start using these little resources that might be something that you decide to do you're not going to have to go again the approach is not going to be do everything change everything massive overhaul with little tiny steps along the way as well and it's how we stick with it that's how we yeah. can do it and achieve it definitely Fantastic. So, yeah, what is the stress cycle, Kirsty? Share with us all, please. Yeah, I will do. I was just going to comment on um, your 
technique of one that you've just shared. Um, it, yeah, it was something that was re really interested me. I actually listened to a podcast that he did. I'd highly recommend it if you want another podcast also to listen to. Um, it was called The Winning Expert, How to Become the Best You Can Be, Sir Dave. Sir David Brailsford. So the podcast is, yeah, Diary of a CEO. But it was really interesting just to get like his background, like how did he get into that field and then explain it um, and go into detail about that sort of work. So if anyone wants to know more about that theory, then definitely give it a listen. Sounds yeah, good, Kirsty. No, I might do that. Really good. <laughs> but yeah, I've definitely found it helpful myself, particularly like my morning routine. So my morning is like time for me. Um, and I've used that theory based on when you, you told us about it to add little things into my morning, which really make a big difference. And I've found I'm a lot more productive since doing that. So yeah, definitely give it a go. But yeah, the, the stress cycle, um, as I say, my favorite technique that I try to apply, I wouldn't say I do it every single day uh, because we're not perfect, but uh, what it is, I actually read a book on burnout. It's an area that's always really interested me, burnout. And there was a book that came out on it by Emily and Amelia Nagowski. And they spoke about completing the stress cycle. So what the stress cycle is, we all experience kind of stress in our day, particularly at the moment. We're all going through a lot. There's a lot of change in the world. It could be a really stressful time. Um, so whether it's work related, whether it's personal, um, we've got kind of ex those external stresses. So whether it's money, time, cultural norms, and then kind of, I guess, the less tangible, like internal stresses. So it might be self-criticism or like uh, body image or kind of thinking about the future, those sorts of things. So we all experience kind of different stresses in, to different degrees as well. And that in our bodies is interpreted as a threat. So kind of, I guess our fight or flight response is activated. Now, stress itself, like we always say in our workshop, stress isn't necessarily bad for us. We need some stress to keep us in our optimal performance zone. It keeps us motivated, it keeps us driven. However, if we experience too much stress, that is when it really starts to become detrimental. Now, I guess what Emily and Amelia Nagalsi argue is that often we get rid of the stressor itself. So that stressor could be that client call. It could be your colleague. It could be your partner that you've had an argument with. Sorry, it could you be get that rid of your, you get rid of them. Like you just, you how are we getting rid stressor. of this we remove the stressor. So say you've had a, a client meeting, the meeting's over, that stressor is now gone. <laughs> I wish sometimes we could get rid of people, but that's not always, not always the option. But yeah, we get kind of removed the stressor itself. But what they argue is the stress itself. So those stress hormones that we experience when our fight or flight response is activated. So the adrenaline, the cortisol hormones that are increased because of that stressor and that stress response, still remain in the body. So what they suggest that we do is engage in different techniques. Some techniques work better um, for some than others. So it's really about finding what works for you. But these techniques that are going to help complete that stress cycle. So get rid of those stress hormones in the body. So rather than letting them build up over a period of time, so say, on a Monday, we've had a really busy, stressful day. We haven't done anything about it. We've just kind of gone gone home if we've been in working in the office. The next day, we wake up. We might get stuck in a traffic jam on the way to the office. We spill coffee down us. We're adding to this kind of stress response. We're adding to these stress hormones. And then it's no wonder why we get to that point where we're just not able to cope and we get to that point, I guess, of like overflow where we start to become irritable, snappy. 
Like and a I little noticed... thing might push us over the edge, like a, a disproportionate response to a situation because we've just Absolutely. kind of reached the end of our tether. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I think this is something that, as I say, really resonated with me because I noticed that behaviour in myself. I would feel like I'm managing stress, but then I'd also I get to this point where I wouldn't explode, but I f- find that I'm just really overwhelmed, can't cope, and then I end up having this emotional outburst. So when I read the book, I was like, right, this is going to be a game changer. Like this is really going to make such a big difference. So what they suggested doing is trying different tech techniques out. And as I said, what works for me might not work for you. So it's very much trying to find the technique that works. So things like physical exercise. And I know, Megan, you're going to touch on this a little bit later on anyway, which is great. So physical exercise tells your body that that threat has now gone and we're safe. So think back to kind of, I guess, the um, survival instinct. So if you're faced with a lion, what do you do? Run away. We run. Yeah, absolutely. We run in the opposite direction. I that was a joke question as well. <laughs> no. Unfortunately, I'm not that funny. Um, but yeah, physical exercise is what we're used to doing. So physical exercise is one of the most effective strategies for completing that stress cycle. Now, when I say physical activity, I don't mean like structured, intense exercise. I'm not going to say like you need to go and lift like really heavy weights or go run a marathon or what have you it's very much out. she don't want to do it she can't lift heavy weights <laughs> she's over it no it's simply just about moving so going for a walk um maybe gardening maybe going for a bike ride or going to the park with the kids like any form of physical movement will help complete that stress cycle and this is the one that I try to implement every day so I have got um, a very excitable uh, lab cross collie so he's four years old so the way that I complete my stress cycle after work is taking him for a walk and I know I have to do that anyway but that for me is a really great way to complete that stress cycle even if I for any whatever reason I don't have him I'll still make sure that I go and have that walk after work or sometimes if I had a really stressful warning I'll go for a walk at lunchtime just to and get I, rid of those stress hormones. And I kind of feel you want to find stuff that's fun as well that you're actually going to enjoy so the thing I don't know if you know this but the thing I do my son has got a swing ball in the garden so you know that there's like a pole and it's got a tennis about the ball. ball yeah and yeah. if I've done you know if I delivered a training session and the adrenaline's going then I'll go and like because you can play it on your own you know so whack the ball back and forth and I'll do that and that's yeah I love that it's really good I love that I <laughs> you'll used probably to love go that on game. to one other options um Kirsty as well but I I can't walk the dogs in the evening because of the child and hobbies and whatever but something I quite like doing is when I'm making dinner I put one of I put a podcast on nothing I could recommend on here completely inappropriate everything I listen to podcast wise is just like reading a trashy magazine but I love it I put it on and I like hearing like that's it's kind of like the cutoff isn't it because it makes you laugh and I think that's one of the things that you've got in there as well isn't it laughter yeah um so yeah it doesn't have to be exercise it could be something else absolutely yeah there's loads of ones that they suggest so laughter is a really good one um affection so if you've got a partner giving them a, a good old hug apparently 20 seconds is the exact amount of time you should hug someone for for it to have the benefits creative expressions so if you're a creative person getting involved in that positive social interactions so having a chat with a friend give your friend a ring um, or meet up with a friend go for a walk together you're doing two and one there um, and then another one they really kind of highly recommend is breath work and I always talk about this in my in the webinars that I present 
is how a lot of us don't breathe properly. And again, this is something I've noticed with myself. So when I'm stressed, I stop breathing. I literally hold my breath and don't breathe properly at all. So breath work is a really great way just to calm ourselves down and activate that parasympathetic nervous system. So it's good for the mind and the body. So they suggest just doing kind of nice deep breaths in, inhaling, holding kind of that breath for like 20 seconds or so and then exhaling out so it really kind of relaxes you I'd really suggest kind of either the breath work physical activity I always think speaking to someone that you enjoy being around and if you get the laughter as well that's even better so lots of different ways that you can complete the stress cycle but um, the book is fantastic I'd highly recommend it as I say it's Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagowski I would personally say it's one of the best techniques I've I've implemented to help better manage my stress levels so is there a specific piece of breath work or where you should be doing breath work that would be recommended? I think as long as you're kind of breathing out for longer than you're breathing in for, that's the main effect, really. So inhaling in, holding it and then nice, slow, deep breath out. So that's like really 7-Eleven. If anyone wanted to look up a technique, 7-Eleven is quite a good one. Yeah, 7-Eleven is perfect for that. Yeah. Cool. Which brings us, I suppose, nicely on if you're saying that at the end of the day, to do some exercise is uh Megan and Chloe kind of a bit of a double act but we'll go to 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 Megan and then Chloe can can chip in anywhere you want to really thanks Megs okay perfect well um you know I think one of the biggest things is is to kind of know what kind of exercise you enjoy doing I think a lot of the time you know we we get stuck in the 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 ways of just you know looking on social media if it's on Instagram or if it's on Facebook there are so many kind of um, gym programs we should be following or doing these kinds of weights to um, you know enhance certain features and whatever it may be but sometimes it is just about finding whatever you enjoy so if that is running or if that is going for a nice long walk um, maybe meeting up with a friend to make it more social doing some yoga if that's something you enjoy or Pilates there's so many different forms of exercise that you could be doing but what's going to make you actually go to those exercise classes or attend that exercise session is doing something you enjoy and then then kind of building it up from there if you want to kind of now start a training program or you know look to go to the gym a little bit more and so on um so I know for myself personally I really enjoy running so I tend to kind of either sign up for some sort of um, race that's going on because that kind of gives me the motivation. But on top of that, I also really enjoy the social social aspect of it because I'm a very social person. So kind of having those, you know, running sessions in the week with someone um, can really, really be such a big motivator. I am also quite a, a morning exerciser. So I tend to kind of plan that in the morning. So I, it's a double whammy. So I'll kind of have someone to run with get that social aspect of it as well as um, do the exercise. Um, so that's usually kind of a tip that I find quite helpful. So kind of think about the sport, the sport you enjoy, maybe join, you know, a hockey club, a soccer club, whatever it is that you do to enjoy, then, then do that. I know with Chloe, I know she's really into the gym and things like that. So I don't know if you have any specific tips you, you want to give the crowd. Do you know, what? I think a lot of it is channeling that energy into something else. So when you finish work, so I'd say I'm more of an evening gym person. You know, that's the time that I can spend sort of with my partner. So a lot of, you know, with the hybrid way of working at the moment, you know, there is that blurring of boundaries between sort of work and home life. So I think for me getting to the end of the day, channeling, as I said, that energy into something outside of the workplace with doing some doing that with someone that you want to do it with 
um, is really sort of that that key message there. You know, it gives you sort of something to think about outside of work. You're not thinking about, you know, your emails or checking teams late into the evening. Actually, it's something to direct that energy into. And I think having that, whether it is the gym, whether it is doing something with a friend, you know, whatever hobby that is, but finding something that you can do to help with that sort of blurring of boundaries as well, I think is really important. That bit that you said about doing something with your partner, well, I definitely wouldn't be doing anything with my partner at the gym because uh, that's just not what they're going to be doing. However, also because we've got a child, one of us has to be at home. It doesn't, it doesn't, um, it's not as practical. But I, I, I went to the gym. I didn't know a single person, but every gym I've gone to, where where I've lived, I've ended up with a couple of friends. Like you make you you make people, and as well, you make like minded. Like you make friends Absolutely. with like-minded people if you do the same sort of activity. I think you said, Chloe, you've you've got friends for life from swimming, from your swimming club. Your your partner yeah. is from swimming, and because you all like that topic, so it, it's it's that hobby and the collective approach. I've got two friends now. I would say from the current gym I'm at, we go to the classes together. We like, you know, they're not there. I see and speak to them more than my actual friends if that makes mm. sense because you're you're seeing them more frequently I don't know how Megan does the talking to them thing because I can't talk to any of them during a class but um there's definitely that kind of it's just it's just nice and I've got another I was thinking about this and I've got another two friends that I met from the gym that I went before and they're still friends now however many years on and you kind of accumulate people that do the like like the same things which I think is is really really nice that social aspect but look, tapping into into your background, Megan, I suppose, really, why is why is sport or why is that physical exercise so good? Yes, so I could probably talk about this all day, but I'm going to try to keep well, it as well, short as possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, the, the first one is, and I'm sure a lot of people, you know, listening on in this podcast at the moment is or know this already, it boosts our mood. Um, Mm. and more specifically our self-esteem as well so I don't know if you've ever kind of you know gone for a run or attended that exercise class and actually just felt that you can conquer the world Um, and often you do kind of get that feeling after that session you know you might be having an absolutely terrible day and really not feel like you know you're wanting to kind of attend that class Um, but after that class you kind of tap yourself on the back and you're just like wow I feel way better But in addition to that, what it really does do is increase our mental alertness. So that's often why I quite enjoy exercising at the beginning of the day, because that kind of um, helps facilitate my mental alertness. I'm generally, once I've exercised, I come to work, I show up there and I'm a lot more energized and ready to get going. But it does mean at the end of the day, I'm completely depleted. So I'll probably go to bed early. So it actually helps my sleep. So it kind of kills two birds with one stone there, um, where it should kind of, you know, increase that mental alertness, alertness as well as sleep. But another point I actually did want to also touch on is, you know, it is really, really good if, for instance, you might be struggling with, you know, a chronic condition or pain management or anything like that. Movement is just so, so important. And I think for those that are listening, you know, I do want to advocate that if you do are struggling with, you know, a chronic condition or anything like that, always seek, you know, a health profession kind of support or advice. Um, however, there's always some form of movement that you can be doing, okay, whether it is kind of, you know, mobility, movement and so on, it really, really can just kind of help facilitate activities of daily living, just allow us to do the things that we want to do throughout our day. 
um, which will in, in, in return kind of help with our mental health as well because then we can achieve the things we want to achieve you know whether it is going for that hack or um, meeting up with friends and actually having the energy to do so um so there really are so many benefits of of um kind of you know exercise when it comes to our mental health in addition to to the physical you know aspects of it whether it is you know being able to tone and and all of those other things we mm. we want out of it too and yeah and again the help at hand from that perspective, there's the six personal training sessions that you get. Um, and one of our colleagues actually used it recently and they said it's better than what they've been paying monthly for, like a, 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 in, in life personal trainer. They said they they give you a whole program, which is online, so you can fill it in, complete it, and then they will check in and see how that's gone. You don't have to have all of those six sessions one after the other. They're actually available for the whole year. So you would you have to have a catch up with them, talk about what you want to achieve. They set up the program for you that you can then keep tapping into um, depending on what your goals are. Is it physique? Is it strength? Is it mood? Is it chronic condition? Like what is it that you want to achieve? Um, and then you will be able to kind of maybe send a message again after you've done it for three or four weeks and you want some more help. You check in and you get six of them in that way. So it can last a whole year, which they said is just so much more that then they got from the, the person that they were paying money for. Has anyone else got anything to add to that? I was only just going to say, um, I liked, Megan, when you said at the beginning, trying to find an activity that you really like, that you're going to yeah. want to do. And, you know, it, I think it can be as simple as getting some really good music on and just, dan you know, just dancing in the kitchen. Like in Grey's you... Anatomy when they do their, their <laughs> yeah. dancing. Yeah, I love that. I'm not allowed to dance in front of my son, though. Like, I get told off if I do that. So I have to do it when he's not there. <laughs> <laughs> but you're I right. Love... My mum went Zumba and loved Zumba. Sorry, yeah. go on, Kirsty. I was going to say, I love that technique. So I do that most days, to be honest. I even do it while I'm working sometimes. I'll just stand up and just put some music on. It gets me motivated. So, yeah, Definitely. I recommend that to everyone. Music and movement is, in pr is really cathartic, isn't it? Like when, when I'm, we do circuits a lot in our gym and the stuff that I do, like me and my mate, sometimes we're like, oh, this trainer always plays the worst music. And then another trainer will put the best music on and you, you go faster. Like you work out harder when there's better music, specifically shy effects. If the uh, if the trainer's listening, like let's use shy effects an awful lot. <laughs> Shake your body. <laughs> so, I suppose that leads quite quite nicely on to the bit about non-negotiables that I wanted to share, really. And I feel like um because the reason why is because it kind of takes an element of everything we've spoken about today um, and then puts the power very much in, in your hands. Now, I did think <laughs> that I was the first person to coin this term when it came to well-being. Uh, I stole it from Married at First Sight quite a few years ago, but um, we're just preparing for another another webinar. And I know read I read some parts of um, the High Performance Podcast book with Jake Humphreys and They've got a chapter called non-negotiables. Uh, so apparently it's not me or they've stole it. I like to think that they've kind of heard something I've spoken about. I've gone, yeah, 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 that Beth has to. That's what it'll be, Beth. Exactly. And yeah, so I'm, I'm not suing them right now because the way I see it is that the more people that realise they need to put certain things in their life as a non-option, as an essential, that's to me, that's all the better. The way I see it, we know as a fact we need to eat, we need to drink, 
we need to breathe breathing like Kirsty said today but also just like to to live we literally need those things to keep alive or we'll break but we also need to look after ourselves because even a machine even a machine needs maintenance we need to constantly fuel machines and make sure they're working properly so I want so think of non-negotiables as the things you know you need to do. So a machine needs to be turned off and oiled and cleaned and certain parts replaced. That's what we're trying to do for ourselves, to keep ourselves in the best place we can be. And we need to think about the impact not doing them will have on our health and well-being. I don't think it's something you can just think of off the top of your head. It's something that you realise over time. So I I've literally over the past year or two, really since we've been talking more and more and more about all these different well-being techniques and, and things because of the work we do, that I've been able to break down the five things I think that these are essential things that I need to do and the impact they have on my life if I don't do them, what specifically they are and how they make me feel. So funny enough, exercising for me is one. I know that if I don't get to the gym or do a class at least four or five times a week it affects my mood it affects my motivation and interestingly like Megan was saying it affects my self-esteem much like Kirsty with the dogs I have to walk the dogs every day except the days when I'm hungover which is another day for another podcast um but that brings me on to my next one which is alcohol so if you are a regular podcast listener you'll know my constant mention of alcohol wine is my nemesis and I swear one day and I'm not even joking I know I'm going to go teetotal I'm going to have to because it's going to get the better of me but for now I can only have a maximum in alcohol intake of two or three days a week and that's actually getting less it's getting more down to like once or twice uh, but more than three times my energy's gone my confidence drops I feel low in mood and I know that that's as a direct result of having that kind of increased amount of alcohol I know that I need to spend time with my family, my husband and daughter specifically, although currently my daughter is being a 10 ager and I'm done with that. So probably just time with my husband. But I have to spend specific time with them each day, whether that's walking the dogs with my husband at lunchtime, the school one, picking up my little girl from school and having that that just that 10 minutes alone family dinner, just that one-to-one time, I know that that nourishes me. I'm I'm saying all of mine, not so that anyone thinks I have to do the same, but it has to be about the the detail of what it is that you need. It's a bit like setting setting a goal versus setting a smart goal. You need to know exactly what it is that you need to do, or otherwise it it isn't a non-negotiable, it's just an idea. Another thing I socialising, I love, love, love a party, a dinner, a dance. I love anything, anything to go with going out. But I love it so much that I become overbooked. Like I do too much. I've got something on every single weekend right now until kind of September, and it is, it is making me feel anxious. Um, and my social battery ends up getting drained. Uh, so I have tried and failed consistently at sticking to only two social events a month. But this is what I was trying to say about the frequency, about the value, the impact, how important it is. If I don't stick to this, it's not important. It's not as important that like I can continue with life if I've seen too many people and socialised too much. But exercise and alcohol are incredibly important. If I don't exercise and if I do drink too much, that is an absolute zero, zero negotiable. I have to do those things. You know, time will happen. Time with my family will happen, whether, whether I make sure it happens or not, because I literally live with them. And then the other one is sleep. And it's something we haven't touched on today. And I thought it might come up from anyone else. I mean, Megan said it helps you sleep um, when you do exercise. But sleep is is a power. It doesn't matter if you've listened to this podcast. If you 
don't get good sleep, you're not going to be able to do any of these things at all. Sleep for me literally makes or breaks me. And it's the same for, my, for, for Craig and Fifi as well. Like if they don't sleep, they're vile. If I don't sleep, I'm vile. I, we all need our sleep and we have to prioritise like our lives revolve around making sure we've had a good night's sleep. So if I'm talking about what the best skill for me is, thing that I've had to learn over these years to manage my mental health is to pin down my non-negotiables. Then I have something to understand why I might be struggling one day to the next. Why am I extra worn out, more emotional? Why am I taking that criticism way harder than I normally would? And I can kind of check back against those things. Sleep, alcohol, exercise, time with my family. Like, have I had a bad night's sleep? Did I go to the gym? Have I spent time with my daughter? Did I drink too much and now my mood is low? I'm less capable when I don't manage these things. So if I have perspective and can see that I've neglected a certain area, then I can make sense of my reaction. Like It makes more sense. Why am I feeling like that? And why am I overreacting or not being as capable as usual? Go and have some sleep. Leave that project. Try again tomorrow when I have better brain capacity. Um, and then, of course, obviously, if I do still feel bad, then probably just need to go back to therapy and, and try and work it out from that way. But generally, if you've got this checklist of these are the things that I should be doing to look after myself, I have not been doing them. Therefore, I'm not going to be feeling in as good a place and I'm more vulnerable and susceptible to stress, low mood, anxiety, etc. So that's kind of where I was at. Go on, Yvonne. I was just going to say, you know, one of the things that always comes through to to me when I'm delivering webinars and talking to people and, and from this session today is you actually need to have a bit of time just to reflect and mm. think about where your well-being is and what do you need to do a bit more of and what do you need to stop yeah. doing. It won't just happen automatically. You've got to carve out a bit of time to do the thinking and reflecting yeah. like you're saying you you think right I feel like this why is that what's been going on okay it's because I've not slept right let's reprioritize that and that's yeah. so important just to have space a little bit of space to think I think it's good the self-awareness it's just about recognizing what are you currently doing and again I say this a lot in webinars is I think we put so much pressure on ourselves sometimes we're so overwhelmed with all of these different techniques and I guess this is where it comes back to those one percent marginal gains is that we feel like we should be constantly adding to mm. our routines and doing more and more and more. Actually, like you said, Yvonne, maybe everyone would benefit from just taking that step back, taking that time to reflect and actually thinking as well, not what did, could I do to, I guess, improve my mental health, but actually, is there anything you're currently doing? Is there a habit that you've currently got that's no longer serving you? For example, I mean, I did that, that actually, but yesterday I was feeling a little bit anxious yesterday and I found I'd been spending so much more time on social media over the last week. Mm. And I think without taking that time to take a step back, observe what's going on, reflect, understand where, how do I want to feel? Why am I currently feeling the way I do? And pinpointing that you don't know where to make those changes and improvements. Mm. So, yeah, I think that is a, a really great point. So as we're drawing to a close, I think it's just really, really important for us to reflect on what is mental health? How do we want to be mentally healthy, physically healthy, emotionally healthy, thinking about our well-being? Um, I don't want anyone to come away from this session thinking, oh, my goodness, I've got to do so many different things. I've got to start cycling, swimming, going to yoga, hugging people all the time, whatever it might be. Think of that marginal gains that Yvonne was talking about, that one small little thing that you could do differently. Are you just going to think about what one non-negotiable is? 
Are you going to think about movement more? Are you going to think about actually how could I do one thing and I, what? Let's try one thing that might help me stop that stop that stress cycle. Have a go on help a hand. Like actually have a go have a look on the app. Take the well being assessment. Just one step. I'm not going and doing all three of the different uh, lifestyle coaching sessions. I'm literally just taking the taking one three three sixty three sixty assessment. Um, you might just think, how am I going to complete the stress cycle? And that's going to be movement for me, or I'm going to try one point, so on and so forth. Or listen to some of Beth's trashy podcasts. Um, come to me directly for recommendations. I could never say them out loud. So, guys, do you have any kind of parting words to share in terms of managing your mental health? Anyone want to jump forward? I'd say on, just don't put pressure on yourself. We aren't perfect and just enjoy the, the journey find out explore find what works for you find out what you enjoy and if you have a day or have a week or a month where you don't stick to it don't be too hard on yourself because yeah life happens and we're not perfect so just find something you enjoy and have fun with it that's what I'd say it is a journey and like we mm. touched on sometimes things that you used to do do become sort of redundant and that doesn't serve you anymore but are you constantly reflecting on that what works for you in that moment life is always changing things that you do to manage your mental health will always change but if you're reflecting on that making time for that one little thing that marginal gains piece I think that's the key message really nice message I would say you're important your well-being matters your mental health matters so put some time aside for yourself that's what I would say. It's so true. I think you, you you must look at kind of looking after your well-being as, as not being indulgent. It's actually a necessity. You know, we all need to give back to ourselves so that we can show up as the best version of ourselves. So I'd always just recommend that if you are struggling, just start small. So think about those small things that you can start incorporating back those marginal gains. Um, if it's exercise that you're struggling with, do something you enjoy and partner it with something that you enjoy. So if it is socializing or if it is something intellectual or whatever it may be you know going for hacks if you enjoy you know nature those types of things where you can start small and then build it up from there and then eventually it will stick and then you can, maybe you can start adding in other things and you'll start to notice that that overall you know um, impact will be huge and your well-being will will drastically improve fantastic thank you so much for your insight guys Kirsty, megan chloe yvonne it's been wonderful Thank you very much for listening um, and hopefully we will see you again on the next podcast.